Hello, everyone, and welcome to A-Ball with Eric Os. I am Eric Os, and it is good to have you with us on what is episode number 14, as this week we'll be talking with one of the Lumber King starting pitchers, Jake Walters. They have been so sharp as of late. In fact, the entire Lumber Kings team has been so sharp. They're now the hottest team in the Midwest League. The single-A affiliate of the Miami Marlins have won six straight games, new faces that we have been kind of touching on. Now, when we last talked to you, though, out in Wisconsin, the team was really struggling to begin the second half. They had lost their first three games against the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers, the single-A affiliate of the Milwaukee Brewers. They would win the final game of that series, which would turn out to be their only win at Neuroscience Group Field all season long. They'd begun 0-6 out in Wisconsin, and then that would touch off a winning streak. They would win four straight against the Peoria Chiefs, the single-A affiliate of the St. Louis Cardinals. That was a series at home in Clinton from June 25th through the 28th. It turned out to be the first four-game series sweep by the Lumber Kings against the Chiefs in Clinton ever. They've been playing since 1983. It's how hot the team has been lately, and it's been because the offense has continued to pick things up in addition to the pitching being so sharp. Now, the new faces that we had touched on, in particular in Peyton Burdick, who was selected by the Miami Marlins in this year's draft in the third round out of right straight, and also the new first baseman here in Clinton, Evan Edwards, who was selected in the next round, the fourth round, out of NC State in this year's draft by the Miami Marlins. They've been in the middle of some very big rallies for the Lumber Kings as of late. In particular, runs in the first innings. They put up 10 runs just a couple of days ago on the 28th of June. That was back on Friday. It was the largest rally in a single inning of the season, obviously. It was just three off the longest, largest rally, rather, of franchise history. They've scored 13 runs in an inning only twice in the last time being done in 1997. We were able to look back in the stat portal and we could not find one that was bigger than the 10 runs in the first against the Peoria Chiefs. Oh, since 2003. So it's been quite a while since the Lumber Kings had the breakout performance like they did against Peoria. It was part of that series sweep that was then followed by a win against the Quad Cities River Bandits on the 29th. And then the rains found us again. So you'll hear Jake Walters talk about winning too as we record this on a very hot Monday, July 1st in the beginning of July baseball here in Clinton. But trying to get to because, well, a contest on Sunday was not very fun to be a part of. It rained for about an hour. We were delayed for two and a half. It took another hour to get the field ready. We then played, got through seven innings of dominant pitching from Tanner Andrews, who you heard on the podcast just about a month ago. He went seven innings for a professional career high. Got a no decision because the score was tied at two, or tied at nothing rather, with two out and nobody on in the bottom of the seventh. So that will be picked up as we record this on Monday, July 1st, and then a nine inning contest that will follow. That is what you'll hear from Jake Walters. But the Lumber Kings have a lot of new faces to go over, lots of moving parts. It's really been a theme since the second half has begun. The wins have placed them into third place in the Western Division. They're currently a game back of the wild card in first place, currently occupied by the Kane County Cougars, single-A affiliate of the Arizona Diamondbacks, and those Wisconsin Tim Rattlers. They've begun the second half 7-2, and two, while the Lumber Kings, after dropping three straight, they've won six in a row. They have now won seven straight games at home as well. Now there have been some long games here and there as the offense 
that the Lumber Kings have had will typically take some time to do so, but it has also become an, a very patient team. Lumber Kings had drawn six walks the other day against the Quad Cities River Band. It's a very good team, as you well know, because we've been talking about them being the best team in the Midwest League all season long. They were the first-half division champions in the West, and they were really running away with it with how sharp they had been. Now, the Lumber Kings win against them in Clinton back on the 29th of June was their first against Quad Cities this season. So it has been a team that has been very tough against the Lumber Kings, in particular in Clinton, but that theme had come to an end thanks to home runs from Christopher Torres. His third of the season, it went into the Lumber Lounge. He is really beginning to heat up, folks. He's now over 50 walks on the season as well, so don't look at the average that is sub-200 for Christopher Torres, because it only tells about half the story. Chris batting 181 on the 29th of June, but with an on-base percentage of 346, and it's because of those now over 50 walks, it's tied for the Midwest League lead in walks, which is made all the more impressive when you think about the way Torres' season has gone, just given the fact that he was on the injured list for the final week of April. It was his third home run of the year, and then two innings later in the third on the 29th of June, Peyton Burdick, who was taken again by the Miami Marlins in the third round of this year's draft out of Wright State. He had his second home run of his professional career, his first as a Lumber King, and we are happy to report that the baseball, it was retrieved. Now the ball, if you've ever been out here to Clinton. It was hit very far, but we'll give you some kind of perspective on how well it was hit. It went out onto the berm in left field in Clinton, which is above the 335-foot side. It cleared the berm. It was at the very top of it. A fan went to make the catch. He dropped it. He was unable to pick it up. He tossed it right back into the bullpen because he knew it was the first home run for Peyton Burdick. So he did get his first home run as a Lumber King. The offense would then go on from there to score a run in the fifth and four in the sixth and walk to a 7-2 to win over the Quad Cities River Bandits. But it also has meant that the Lumber Kings pitching staff, which has been sharp in the respect of not giving up a whole lot of runs, they've run into quite a bit of offense that they have allowed. There have been a lot of hits against them that win against Quad Cities, which you'd think was a game where the Lumber Kings, in such a convincing 7-2 to win, would have really outscored their opponents and maybe doing so on the hits. That was not the case. Quad Cities out hit them 12-9. to And so the Lumber Kings, over a six-game winning streak, had allowed 55 hits by their pitching staff. That's a 3.20 average, which is pretty high considering the Lumber Kings had won all six of those games. So there have been some difficulties for the Lumber Kings pitching staff, but they have been able to sort of clamp down when they've needed to. Big innings, he's... We will hear from Jake Walters, who is going four and a third against the Peoria Chiefs, backed by a lot of offense. He would have qualified for the win, but had allowed 10 hits during his timeout. Walters will be joining us next. He made his professional debut with the Clinton Lumber Kings here after a professional career that had to be postponed for the better part of his season after he was drafted out of the University of Alabama in the ninth round. Jake Walters, he'll be joining us next, talking about that journey here to Clinton and all the development that goes into the University of Alabama product, who is kind enough to take some time on a hot July 1st day in Clinton. Jake Walters joins us next on A-Ball. Welcome back on A-Ball with Eric Ellis. We're now joined by one of the Lumber Kings starting pitchers, 
Jake Walters, thanks for taking some time to talk with us on some hot days here in Clinton. <laughs> of course, Eric. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to talk with you because the Lumber Kings pitching staff has changed so much in the second half. You were in that piggyback role with Tanner Andrews in the first half, and now you've got your own spot. Does that change at all in just being a starter and not having that piggyback performance? seems like you're stretched out a little bit more now. Uh, yeah, it... Um it's definitely a little change, but a little more consistency between starts. You don't have to worry about coming out of the pen or anything, but um, definitely the pitch count is going to start getting up there, um, getting more more innings. And uh, the lower my pitch count is, the more innings I get. So, yeah. Well, let's see how this works, too, because it's not just you that's changed the role. We've seen the piggyback role now with Tyler Jones, who has also moved from the bullpen into the starting rotation. What is this rotation like? Because uh, the pitchers, they seem like all the Lumber Kings here in 2019, seem like they get along pretty well. And that usually starters are always talk about the very competitive nature with one another. If you have a good start, then Tanner might want to go out there and invest that seven and each start. Now you can really do that because you've got your own spot in that rotation. So how does that competition factor now change here in the second half? Oh, yeah, we, uh, we're really close as a team and even closer as a staff. Um, we're, all, we're always trying to push each other. We want the best out of uh, everyone every day. And um, me and Tanner, being that piggyback role, we probably talk a little more than I do with Soriano or Guerrero. But um, we're always pushing each other, and we're glad to see each other having success. Um, and, yeah, I'm pretty sure most of the staffs just in the Marlins were on a six-man rotation. So you always got that one guy piggybacking the other no matter what. And um, once one guy moves up, someone else is going to come in and, I guess getting that piggyback role, but uh, but yeah, it's good to see uh, all the guys doing well. How have you felt the 2019 season has shaped up for you? Because this is your first professional baseball season where you're getting actual innings pitch despite being drafted in 2018. Um, well, it's definitely an eye-opener. Uh, i got to pinch myself every day I'm playing professional baseball, and this is what I've trained for my entire young life. But, um, uh, I mean, always looking back, you wish you could have done better no matter what. If someone throws a no-hitter, they always wish they could have done a perfect game, you know. Pitchers, they're, they're a little bit perfectionist, but... Um I mean, looking back, i got to be satisfied, and i just got to keep working to get better every day. Well, we touched on it very briefly. It seems like half of the podcasts are weather reports here in the Midwest because at the beginning of the season, it was really cold. It was snowing. It was so cold out. That is not the case anymore. It has been red hot. It has been a summer really feeling like in the last couple of days where it's 90 degrees. It feels like 105, though. How does that affect the pitching side of things? Because sometimes pitchers will say they don't like to pitch in the cold, they can't feel the baseball, but does the heat at least help a little bit, I guess, in that uh, in that vein, even though maybe it's done to excess as of late? Uh, yeah, it can go both ways. Um, heating, I mean, being having it really hot outside uh, definitely helps you warm up a little quicker. Probably the, uh, I guess, the, the flow, like the blood flow and the adrenaline is a little higher when it's warmer, but... Um, I don't mind pitching in the cold just because just I know I won't have a lot of sweat on my hands. I can feel the feel the grip of the ball, and I feel like I'm a little more consistent with movement and stuff. But uh, definitely the velo is up every time it's hot. So you can pick or choose. Um, right now I, I love that velo. And I've um, been wearing sleeves a lot lately just to catch the sweat going down my arm. So. We thought that was just uh, some toughness, too, on your part, that you, you, didn't, you can put sleeves on. This heat doesn't affect you at all, but it's just for this, the sweat management, I suppose, then. Well, the next day I, I made a bold move and I wore a sweatshirt, and it was about 107 uh, heat index, so uh, that was definitely a bad idea. Yeah, that, that's pretty bold. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
talking about the heat here with one of the Lumber Kings starting pitchers and Jake Walters, and we appreciate you coming on here to talk with us about this weather and also the Clint Lumber Kings, which are the hottest team right now in the Midwest League. They've won six straight games as we record this on Monday, July 1st, so the end of June baseball. The second half did not get off to a particularly good start. They dropped three straight, but then six straight wins. How do you explain the success that has come? Because the pitching has been so sharp, and now it seems like the offense is getting there to match with you guys, some new faces that have come here. I know you're on the pitching side of things, and maybe you don't like seeing a whole lot of offense, but at least when it comes for the Lumber Kings, it must be pretty nice to be part of all the wins that have come over a week now. Yeah, I mean, run support on any day of the week is good. Um, pitching, I mean, we're not throwing shutouts, but anytime the team can put up in a consistent five, six runs, I feel like we have a great chance to win. And uh, our, we're competing out there on the mound, and I see our guys are doing their, uh, they're doing their share in the box as well. And it seems, too, just uh, speaking of we're looking at batting practice right now here at Nelson Court Field in Clinton, we saw you in the cage not too long ago. It seemed like the pitchers were getting some hacks. Are you a pitcher that can rake? Uh, uh, I, my last home run was in Cooperstown. Oh, uh, wow. I was, 12, I was 12 years old. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't think you'll be seeing many bombs out of this guy right here. But uh, I, was a, I was an infield singles guy in high school. I uh, had a decent average, but... Um, yeah, they let the, the starters hit the day after they throw, and uh, that's what you got to see. That's pretty fun, too, because we even saw Mike Jacobs, who is a, a former major leaguer, who was in the cage, too, so it's nice to see that everyone got in on the fun. I think even Tyler, who is the director of operations here for the Lumber Kings, had yeah. taken some swings. So everyone is ready to go if their number is called, so to speak. Lumber Kings, too, as we mentioned, with their six straight wins, it was a four-game series sweep against the Peoria Chiefs that you were a part of that last time out. What was working for you out of the starting rotation for the Lumber Kings against the Chiefs team, which we should say, the single-A affiliate of the St. Louis Cardinals? Well, uh, our offense came out hot, I think, every game in the series. And uh, as a pitcher, that that definitely makes you uh, feel like you can just throw the ball down the middle and they'll get outs because, you know, baseball, you, you get out seven times out of ten, you're doing well. But that seven times out of ten is looking great as a pitcher. So you just have to fill up the strike zone, and I feel like we, uh, we threw a lot of strikes. Whether they put it in play or not, for my sake, uh, just having a lot of uh, a lot of guys behind us. Well, it's kind of interesting when we talked to you on the pregame show. You're mentioning your pitch types, and one of them was a cutter because when we had talked to the pitching coach Mark DeFelice here in Clinton, he mentioned the cutter being a pitch that you typically throw later on in your career. He called it a career saver for some guys, like a John Lester or a CC Sabathia, because you get the movement on the fastball, even though you're starting to lose that velocity. You're down at the low A levels, and you've already got a cutter. So, what goes into that development? Is that a pitch you've had for quite a while now? Uh, yeah, it's been a pitch I, I kind of developed, and I feel like uh, I got a lot better in college. Um, I wasn't a guy that was going to throw 95 to 100, so I had to find other ways to get guys out, and that's just locating the fastball and getting a little deception deception on it, either two-seam or getting the cut. So I um, feel like I uh, create a lot of weak contact, just trying to miss the center of the barrel. And uh, yeah. And what other pitches uh, work off that cutter for you? Because a cutter is a, a fastball of sorts, but it does have that movement. Uh, so you got the fastball and the cutter. Um then off of that, if you're tubing is what they call it, uh, just working the slider in the same slide and it drops off. You can also work the change up, which is going to drop the opposite way of the slider. For me, they're about the same velo, so it's kind of like a mirror image, mirror image of each other. Um, and then, uh, yeah, you get the two seam, the cutter, and then one going each way, and then the change up and the slider going opposite, but a little slower. So. Why does it take a little bit longer to develop that cutter? Why is it usually a pitch that some guys find later on in their careers? Well, a lot of people actually find it by accident because oh, okay. uh, their four seam turns into a cutter, and then you just have to kind of accept it. But um, 
I don't know. It's cool to see. I know when I was younger, I tried to mirror myself after Greg Maddox just because I felt like he was a wizard out there and he could throw the ball where he wanted with movement. And, I mean, he had a great career, obviously. So if anyone can get as close to that, I think they're going to do pretty good. So you're a Maddox guy. Does that make you a Braves fan growing up? We know you're from the South, so that's usually the team of the South, too. The Braves also very successful during that period as well with the great pitching staff. So good guys to model yourself after. Yeah, they were they were the the local team for us in Birmingham. Uh, a lot of Braves fans I uh, grew up around, and uh, kind of the game I'd go to if I wanted to go to MLB game. So, so you had so many great guys in that rotation. You mentioned Maddox, who what you mentioned Cooperstown earlier. He's in Cooperstown right now. He's a Hall of Famer. They always said that he was one of the uh, best pitchers at just locating pitches. And then you've also got an entire embarrassment of riches for that Braves pitching staff with the likes of Tom Glavin, John Smoltz. We're mentioning just Hall of Famers right now. And then John Avery, of course, who was coming out in the back end of that rotation. What did you feel like that did in just getting, were you thinking about pitching right away because those were the, the big hitters, so to speak, for the Braves growing up as a baseball fan? Um, I was really young back then, and I was probably more of an offensive guy. But looking back at their careers, um, it's it's easy to just try to model after that. They uh, I feel like they played the game the right way, and they came out. They pre- were prepared, and they did a lot of the mental stuff that I think a lot of people are taking for granted these days. But uh, they're definitely uh, one of the best to ever do it. So. Well, you mentioned you're from the South, uh, Birmingham, originally born in Brandon, Mississippi, and that was where your your dad had some roots, right? Mississippi State, and then, of course, you go to the University of Alabama. So I was wondering if you could take us through just growing up from the baseball side of things and that career blossoming in the South, and then, of course, going out to uh, the University of Alabama. Your dad, I'm sure, was okay with it, even though you didn't go to his alma mater. Uh, So looking back, way back, my my grandfather played at Mississippi State. Um, He was a left-handed pitcher. that's probably where the, the throwing gene came. But my dad, uh, he, he's from Petal, Mississippi. It's right there around Hattiesburg. But he, um, he went to Mississippi State, played with Palmero and Will Clark, that little group. It's, uh, it's cool to talk about. But, um, so I was born in Mississippi um, when I was two or three, barely even had any memories. We moved to Birmingham. And uh, we always went over to Starkville for games. He, being an alumni, we got a lot of tickets, and I grew up a, a bulldog. So... The recruiting trail um, kind of came on to me a little late because I wasn't a hard thrower. Uh, just found ways to get outs in high school. So didn't get early offers. Um, I got my first SEC offer by Alabama, and I took a couple weeks, and they called me asking what's taking so long to commit, and uh, I just said the money. And so they, they offered me a little little boost. They said, but you have an hour to decide or we're oh, taking wow. it away. Yeah, big business part on Alabama. They said you That's get you get an ball. hour. We're taking it away, and just a couple of days later, I was headed to Starkville for uh, a possible offer. But I committed Alabama right away. So. Well, that's interesting, too, because, I mean, you give an hour, that's, that's no time at all. How, what was that hour like? <laughs> that time it was with, the happiest and most stressful hour of my life. <laughs> um, was, yeah. Was it the parents that were uh, telling you to, to maybe just take it right away that leaned one way? How did you get to that decision to, to go to Alabama? Um, well, being from Birmingham, I, I went to Tuscaloosa my fair share on the weekend and stuff in high school. But, um, you know, I, I had a lot of familiar faces at the University of Alabama, a lot of uh, older guys my brother's two years older than I am and a lot of familiar faces that he played with I knew were already on the roster and that kind of made me feel more at home uh just the city um love Tuscaloosa I live there now in the off season so that's worked out well but um 
Yeah, it was just kind of a spur of the moment thing, and uh, I, w- I wouldn't change anything. So, so you get to Alabama. What was the the coaching like? What was the culture like? I've seen the facility once before. We're driving through cross country when I was going out to Kannapolis, and we were stopping at different baseball fields. And we get to Alabama, and everyone was wanting to see the football field, of course. And I took a left, and I went to the baseball field. So it's a beautiful facility, as I guess you'd expect. But what was the culture like in Alabama that helped you in your baseball development? Uh, it's a championship culture. Uh, no matter what sport you play over there, they expect the best. Uh, we're considered an elite university just because all the success football's brought in and some of the other sports. So going in, we had very high expectations. Work our tails off. It. I got my butt kicked that that first year coming out of high school. They just they. I've never worked harder. Um, trying to earn earn a spot on the team and um, the facilities there. My first year, we actually didn't have a stadium. They were uh, they were rebuilding it, and so we we played in Hoover, Alabama, which was an hour away. So every game we played away, basically. We had uh, 56 away games. That's the way we look at it. But um, yeah, that stadium now it's unbelievable. 42 million dollars, I believe. Um, and I mean, you got Brian Denny, the football stadium as well. So football season's fun, and the whole atmosphere. Um, we get even closer in the fall, and then in the spring, we're all best friends and brothers, and uh, I miss it. Um, it's definitely some four of the greatest years of my life so far, and uh, um, and I feel like I, I grew a lot not only as a player but as a man, and uh, I learned a lot of discipline. Definitely learned a lot of discipline, and I think it's it's made me into the guy I am right now. So, so those growing pains, I guess that first season you mentioned getting kicked around a little bit. What was was that the first time that you felt like you were really being ta- challenged in baseball? That maybe things were going so well before, and you get to that level and kind of had that eyes wide open experience like oh this is going to be a little bit different than it was before so what was the hard work that you had mentioned that went into coming back and then having a very successful career in Alabama uh yeah anyone uh going to Alabama from high school is definitely the best on their team so everyone has success and then you get to Alabama and you you play in the in the fall scrimmages and stuff and you get kicked around by all the veterans and stuff and they uh they push you in workouts but uh those first couple outings in the, in the spring, I actually, my first outing was against the number three team, Houston. Came in with the bases loaded in the eighth. And I was uh, shaking, just just shaking a little bit. But uh, I got a double play, and I was like, ah, it's baseball. It's not so hard. But um, I just, I tried to uh, just keep my head level and just remind myself that it was the uh, same game of baseball and uh, had a little success, and things worked out, and I got a roll, and try to stay consistent and uh, I ended up starting on the weekends for every year pretty much and um, which yeah. makes you the one of the aces that's usually how it works right in college because usually it's just like one game I think during the week and then you have if you do have that and then of course the weekends which makes you the the big starter you have that built-in off time which you do not have here at the single a level mm-hmm. sounds so nice to have built in a couple of days off during the week how is that getting accustomed now that you're in the professional ranks and you know as a fan Maybe as a Braves fan early on, you think, well, this isn't a big deal. I see baseball all the time on TV. And then when you get into that grind of every day, it's a whole different beast. And I imagine that has to deal with the preparation just because, you know, you mentally have to deal with the fact that you're reporting every day for work like it's a job. That's why it's the pros. What is that like to uh, get accustomed to coming from the college ranks? So in college, I'm sure some people know, not a lot of people do, you pitch one game a week. I mean, if you're a starter. So say I would pitch every Friday. So Saturday, I'd have my routine Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, every day up to Thursday, and then Friday game day. You know what to expect. It wouldn't change, whereas here, every five days. So you got to adjust. We're traveling a lot more. 
Um, you got to find days to lift everywhere you go on the road. You're not available to lift, and it's a little bit a uh, little bit more of a challenge. But um, in college, if, say you have a bad outing, you have to wait seven days. Whereas here, five days. So it's just, it's a little better on that end. But um, you definitely got to prepare in between because those extra two days it'll it'll let your body just regenerate and your arms not as hanging as much. But here, um, you get a lot more reps on the mound every five days. So You'll see generally pitchers have uh, bigger records. You got more starts, more reliefs, more appearances. Just a lot more games in general. I mean, we got 140 compared to the 56 to 70 we played in college. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's more. It's a lot more of a job here in college. I mean, you got more off time. You got friends and you got classes, which that makes time fly by. Not really. <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, school is another thing that humbled me. Um, it was a good escape. You know, you had classes, you had to study, finals. Um, it took your mind off the game, whereas here it, it's all baseball. It's all baseball. You actually have to find something outside of baseball just to keep your mind fresh. Um, I'm a big movie guy. I like to relax. I I push my body really well up here, so I, I try to just kick back when I get home. Um, and uh, this is my first year, so I'm just a guinea pig right now. I'm trying to figure out how to go about this whole routine thing. Um, and I'm sure it'll adjust a little bit next year just to make my body a little more healthy. But um, right now I feel pretty good, so I feel like I've been going at it uh, the right way. Let's go over that final season for you in Alabama, because that was a, a large body of work. You mentioned being a weekend starter on Fridays, 82 innings of work for you as a 4-5 and five record, a 3.73 earned run average. Then you get drafted, so you're taken in the ninth round by the Miami Marlins in 2018. That moment must have been cool, but I'm sure very common for a lot of guys in Alabama, right, because it's such a successful program. But how excited were you, the family, and all that? Because you mentioned, you know, you come in the first season in Alabama, and you're thinking, wow, this is going to be really tough. And then you flash forward three, four years later, depending on how it works out, and there you are. You're drafted early. I mean, top ten rounds, that's usually how they describe it. So that's quite an accomplishment right there And speaking to that development that went into the University of Alabama. But you find out that you had uh, some problems, I guess, with MRI, so... Then you make your professional debut with the Lumber Kings this season. So what is that like just in a span of, what is that, like 18 months, maybe two years uh, right there, maybe a little bit less like because uh, that professional career had to be delayed a little bit after what was a very impressive senior season for you at the University of Alabama? Well, uh, going to the University of Alabama, you know, you have a, a great opportunity to play at the next level. Um, every year we got, I see an average five guys getting drafted, and uh, that's great, quite the accomplishment Um I think. I mean, any SEC team for the most part. But uh, I can tell you where I was when I got the call. I was worried, trying not to focus on it. But, uh, I mean, every guy that's getting drafted, they're, they're worried about it, and it's it's very stressful if you're not in the first round. The stress exciting, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it was one of the most memorable experiences. But um, definitely when I uh, reported down to Jupiter, like most of the guys, uh, they make – it's. They make every pitcher get an MRI. They make every catcher get an MRI on their knees, so pitchers on their arms and elbows. And uh, mine wasn't wasn't the, the most game ready, so they shut me down. Um, just I uh, in Alabama, I actually had the I hold the record for starts in a career, so that might kind of pertain to my uh, my elbow. You had a big get a little bit more cautious. Yeah, I uh, I pushed through some discomfort in college because um, I was. Comp- competitor I want to say and I didn't want to leave uh, let my guys down but um, I, I, I didn't really feel 
any type of energy uh, injury. I mean, I was still, my velo was up and I was competing and I was doing well. My last start went really well. Um, but yeah, so I got here and it's just protocol. Just shut me down and looking back at it, I'm, I'm glad it happened. When in the moment, I'm like, I want to play, I want to play. Just coming out of college. Um, so I feel like we did a really good job and uh, I feel great right now. So. And your debut had come in Clinton in front of a hometown crowd. That must have been a pretty big moment for you too. I mean, that was the beginning of your professional career. So were there a lot of thoughts going through your head when you went out to the mound there? Um, well, I, I've gotten a lot of reps down in Jupiter just to kind of get me game ready and uh, come up here. And it's actually, um, it was like a celebratory night. We had the cool jerseys, the, right, the yeah. firefighter red jerseys, which actually went on auction. Um, and so we had a great crowd. I heard it was like one of the best crowds we've had so far, and I had no idea. Um, but the adrenaline when I got out there was a lot what I expected. It was really high. My last outing was in May of 2018, so it's been quite a while. But um, I feel like uh, I did what I wanted to that night, and uh, the rest has been kind of flying by. But um, it was good to get that first one out of the way and uh, trying to get back to what I know, and that's just on strikes. So. Well, you said it flying by. We're in July now. It's kind of hard to think about that we just got started just a couple of months ago. It seems like yesterday we tried to let everyone go with a lighthearted question, and we didn't have you here for the uh, beginning of the season, so we didn't have you fill out the questionnaire. So we were unable to find out who Jake Walter's celebrity crushes were, who the best <laughs> pranksters were. But I guess we'll start with this because you said you're a big movie guy. What is your all-time favorite movie, and is there a genre that you tend to lean towards if you had to pick one that you're Putting a movie on, it's an action, it's a comedy. What is what is the Jake mm. Walters typical pick? Uh, uh, that's the hardest question for me. What's your favorite? What's your favorite song movie? That's right. I guess I, it. Uh, uh, what, what is your favorite action type of movie? Do you have one of those? If we narrow it a little bit, action movie. Next question. Next question. Okay. Well, uh, what was the what was a movie that you've watched recently that you've really enjoyed? Recently, um, well, there's a movie uh, I have on my laptop I always go back to. It's just real positive vibes. I feel like whenever uh, I'm feeling down and I just remember the first, the people I watched it with the very first time. It's called We Are Your Friends. It's uh, Zac Efron is in that movie. Um, I'm a really big music guy, and uh, it's about uh, music in Southern California. So, Do you play you music seen? at all? Any instruments? No, I don't play any. Um my mother's side, they're huge musicians. Everyone on my mom's side plays a plays an instrument, and my grandfather is actually in the band directors' hall of fame. It's it's a long story, but uh, yeah, we're a m big musical family, and uh, we've always been really into listening. So I feel like it's it's one of the things that helps me escape as well from the game. So this is Jake Walters. Thanks again for taking the time here to talk with us on a hot day here in Clinton, and we will of course update everyone when we do find out that favorite movie from Jake Walters <laughs> later on on the yes. podcast. Thanks again for taking the time. Thank you. Let's get two wins today. Absolutely. That's right.
And welcome back to A-Ball with Eric Ellis. You just heard from one of the Lumber King starting pitchers, Jake Walters, talking about what is a very interesting path, a very interesting guy, Walters. I mean, he's got talent all over the family. A family that was sending everyone to become a bulldog at Mississippi State. He, of course, goes to his own beat of the drum and goes to the University of Alabama, but kind of interesting to hear about the musically gifted side of Jake Walters' family. Of course, the adversity he had to overcome at the University of Alabama, then that development leading him to a ninth-round selection by the Miami Marlins. We thank him for taking the time to talk with us on A-Ball. Here for the Lumber Kings, the single-A affiliate of the Miami Marlins, it has been good times. As of late, six straight wins against the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers, the Peoria Chiefs, and now the Quad Cities Riverbank. And it's their longest winning streak of the season has catapulted them into the playoff discussion with a 6-3 and three record in the second half. In third place, a game back of the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers and the Kane County Cougars, who are currently tied for first with a 7-2 mark on the second half of the 2019 season here in the Midwest League. A team that has really changed as of late. Now, the Lumber Kings also saw an addition to the coaching staff here. The Lumber Kings currently have four outfielders Four outfielders on the roster, Davis Bradshaw, Peyton Burdick, Thomas Jones, and Connor Scott. And they will now have a new coach that is primarily here to work on the new defensive players that are in the outfield. You've got Nathan Michaels, who has now been assigned to Clinton. He had begun this season with the Batavia Muck Dogs. He'll primarily be serving as an outfield defensive coach. In the past, he had worked with the GCL Marlins. He's only 25 years of age, and GCL, he was a defensive, bunting, and base running coach for the GCL Marlins. He was in his playing career with the New York Yankees, a third-round selection in 2012. Very young coach that has now made this a four-man coaching staff for the Lumber Kings, so just one of the those things to consider, but he's from this part of the woods. He's from Kenosha, Wisconsin, so it's good to see Nathan Michaels now with the Clinton Lumber Kings. He also has been serving as the first base coach in the first couple of games that we've been seeing here in Clinton, but he is just one of many new faces to get accustomed to. Over the last couple of days, we've seen our fair share of roster moves. Of course, the new arrivals of the 2019 draft class in Peyton Burdick and also in Evan Edwards, but since the Lumber Kings have returned here to Clinton, starting with their series against the Peoria Chiefs on Tuesday, June 25th, we have seen in that time the Lumber Kings make four roster moves. One of them came on the 30th of June, right-handed arm that was not here for very long. Kaysen Sherrod, we were able to talk with him on our pregame show, but he was earning a promotion very quickly up to the high-A Jupiter Hammerheads following just four appearances here in Clinton in which he did not allow a run, only surrendered two hits. Sherrod, very hard right thrower from the tex- from Texas A&M, selected in the seventh round of the 2018 draft. He was fun to talk with on that pregame show. He was also telling us about the hearing problem that he had had as he was born a couple of weeks premature and then he came right back out the next outing he worked to save for the Clinton Lumber Kings through two shutout innings and what turned out to be his final outing it was part of a win against the Peoria Chiefs so we wish our best luck to Kaysen Sherrod who is up to the high A Jupiter Hammerheads joining several Lumber Kings that are now up in high A. Now the Lumber Kings did see some bad news I guess Connor Grant who we had talked about a little bit not too long ago is joining the Lumber Kings he has been placed on the voluntarily retired list so his baseball career has come to an end what that had meant for the Lumber Kings though with Sherrod's promotion and Grant placed 
on the temporarily retired list is that the Lumber Kings were down two men. They were down to 23 active men when they had last played on June 30th against the Quad Cities River Bandits. They have now received some reinforcements. So new pitchers that will be available for Mike Jacobs out of the bullpen now. A couple of right-handers, Bryce Howe and Jeremy Ovel, who were, select, or who were sent here from Batavia. So they had earned promotion from the Muck Dogs out of the New York Penn League, and that has made it an active roster of 25 men. That is how the Lumber Kings current roster sits and they have been playing some pretty good baseball as of late they'll look to continue that theme with a roster that we have mentioned has been changing as has the pitching rotation we touched on it a bit with Jake Walters Alberto Guerrero is now the number one starter for the Clinton Lumber Kings George Soriano he had picked up his first win as a Lumber King and that needed to be a while ago but Soriano he certainly deserved it he Deserved it his last two times out, in fact. He had an eight-inning complete game assignment against the Cedar Rapids Colonels. He got the loss for that, but his win was finally earned on June 27th. That's when the Lumber Kings scored four runs in the first inning with the first five batters collecting hits. Soriano went five innings, allowing two runs on five hits, walked three, and struck out three for his first win of the season. Now the Lumber Kings' number two starter here in the second half. Jake Walters, he is the number three starter. You can next see him when this episode comes out. On Wednesday, the day before the 4th of July, Walters set to take the ball against the Beloit Snappers in what will be his third start of the second half. Lumber Kings then in the fourth spot of their rotation have a piggyback start between Tyler Jones and Tyler Mitzel. Mitzel having worked a win his last time out for five innings of work. That was his first start of his professional career. Tyler Jones, of course, had begun the season in the bullpen. We had mentioned that in the Walters interview and is now going to make his start on the 4th of July against the Peoria Chiefs when the Lumber Kings return home for those festivities. The number five starter for the Clinton Lumber Kings is now Tanner Andrews, who is just coming off a seven-inning masterful performance against the Quad Cities River Bandits in which he allowed no runs, only one hit, walked a batter and struck out two, and then the rains came and suspended us, which is why you heard Jake Walters mentioning winning two when we recorded this on July 1st for what was the kind of sort of doubleheader with the Quad Cities River Bandits from the hottest team in the Midwest League. That's going to do it for this episode, but before we go, we'd like to shamelessly plug the broadcast side of things because, of course, you can listen to all Lumber Kings games in 2019 with with yours truly on the call, Eric Os on 100.3 FM WCCI for those of you in the broadcast range. For those of you outside, of course, you can listen to all the Lumber Kings action this season online via the TuneIn Radio app at LumberKings.com. I want to thank everyone for listening to this episode and, of course, a special thanks to our guest Jake Walters for taking some time to talk with us on episode number 14 of A-Ball. Hopefully we'll see you out at the ballpark some point this season. Maybe we'll have you on the broadcast and, of course, we hope to have you back next week. We're not sure who we'll talk to, but this broadcaster, he's going to be on assignment, so we're thinking Frank Moore, the hitting coach, will be joining us maybe out in Beloit to give us the insight on the offensive explosion for the Lumber Kings as of late. Frank will likely be our episode number 15 of A-Ball with Eric Os. Until then, next episode of A-Ball. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. Take care, and we will see you next week. <laughs>